0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Fire & Rain, the podcast where we talk about mental health and its relationship to leadership, the workplace, and your personal life. My mission is easy. It's to help others achieve the life that they deserve. I do this by talking first so that you can win the battle with mental health. In any conflict, there are two sides. And by better understanding your opposition, what its strengths are, what its weaknesses are, what it can and can't do to you, your chances of success are greatly improved. So if you're looking for real conversation that will positively alter your life, you're in the right place. Welcome to Fire and Rain. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is David Lewis. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Fire and Rain. I hope all the fathers out there had an amazing Father's Day. I hope you got to spend some time with your child or your kids. I know I did. We actually celebrated early. I had to work on Father's Day at the fire station. And I got home the day before, and it was great. My, my my son was waiting in the driveway. And, you know, as soon as I get out of the truck, he just runs up to me and gives me a big hug. Happy Father's Day. He, he makes me close my eyes. He brings me inside, and uh, he has a bunch of gifts waiting for me. It was just a great day. I got to spend a lot of quality time with him. And I got to take him to all all his favorite places. That was uh, that was what he wanted me to do for him to celebrate Father's Day. I get to drag him around and <laughs> and take him to all the all the all the places that he likes to go. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing to to have such a, a loving son like I do, and I'm very grateful for that. One of the things that I've noticed when I'm out with my son is I have. I've become, I've grown fond of him asking questions. You know, if he's not asking me for money, he's asking me why. And I used to not like it when he asked me why. He, he, he almost seemed, or I took it as if he was challenging me. And if you're, a, if you're a parent, you can probably relate to this. If you've told your child to do something and they ask why, what's your response? Because I said so. Right, and I, I I don't do that any longer. I I try not to because he's he's honestly he's curious. He he would get upset when I said because I said so, and you know he's he's very intuitive. He's um he's 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 curious about a lot of things. He's he's growing. He's learning, and he's not going to learn if I just shut him down and say it's it's this way or no way. You know, if I'm able to educate him and bring a 360 type explanation to the decision-making process, I think he's gotten a lot out of that. And I think we've, we've, we've grown um, significantly, both of us, from that. I've learned a lot of patience, and I've learned to not take it so personal when I'm being questioned. And it's also helped me in other ways by asking myself why more and more. Because as an adult, I noticed that for quite some time, I stopped asking why. I didn't have that curiosity of a child anymore. And so that kind of brings me into the topic I want to start off with is why. I was recently asked why I have such a desire to help other people and why am I like that. And I never, well, I have thought about it, but I actually had to sit down and do a little bit of thinking and reflection to give an answer, you know I in the past, I may have just accepted, well, this is just the way I am. this is just the way things are. I am who I am, and I'm not going to think about the past. I'm not going to think about how good things have shaped me, bad things have shaped me, but that's what I did here, and so the to answer that question that was asked to me and kind of bring more more information to this statement of why I have such a desire to help people and why that was such a significant role in me not killing myself because when I was making the list and the list always started with doing something for my wife, taking care of my wife, taking care of my son, doing something for them. Then at the end of the the list, it was kill myself. Why was it so significant that I had to write those things? Why is that engraved in me? Why is that on my heart? And why can't I just say that I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was in so much pain that despite everything else going on, I was just going to end it? Um, why is it that I, I felt like I needed to do things nice for my family before i killed myself and and again i understand how crazy it sounds because when you're you're in a mental crisis you do things that aren't right you say things that aren't right your thought process is is not accurate you're 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 off you're offline with who you typically are and that's where i was you know it made sense in my head to say that me doing something nice for my wife would cancel out me ending my life and not make it as bad but it's not it is just it's crazy to to say that again but um when you're having a crisis you're not thinking clearly your decisions aren't accurate and your thought process is just all over the all over the place and that's where mine was it was rational at the time but it's it's an irrational thought So again, why did I have such a desire to write things down like that first, taking care of my family? And for me, it comes back to my childhood and how it was so deeply rooted that it has stuck with me. I grew up in a small town in Missouri, and I had a good friend that lived directly across the street from me. Her name was Michelle. And Michelle, uh, was both of her parents were Korean. And she was my best friend uh, every day. You know, Michelle and I, we were just chucks. We were just out running through the woods, throwing rocks, just, you know, doing whatever, you know, we, we wanted to do in the neighborhood, just running around being kids, having a great time. Well, one summer, I went on a uh, on a small vacation. My family and I, it was actually my mom, my sisters and I, we drove to Texas. And as soon as I got back, I wanted to run across the street. I asked my mom. I said, like, hey, can I go see Michelle? She said yes. So I run across the the, the street. I knock on the door thinking Michelle's parents or Michelle was going to answer. And I'm going to let her know I'm back. I'm going to tell her all about my trip. And then we're just going to finish out the day being kids, playing outside. But this guy came to the door. And I'd never seen this, this, this individual before. And he was very upset with me. I asked, is Michelle there? And... He tells me, get the hell off my property. Now, I'm probably four or five years old at this time, and that scared the heck out of me. So I, I turn around, and I, I run across the street. I didn't know who these people were, but I quickly learned. Uh, these individuals, though I can't prove it, just to give you an idea of the type of character they had, I would, I would just make the assumption that they were card-carrying members of the KKK, Uh, They were extremely racist. My dad is black and my mom is white. So when I knock on the door, all they see is this little brown kid. And they do the racist thing. They just, you know, just extremely negative towards me based on my skin color. It wasn't long after that, I recall being in the front yard. And this family had two or three little kids um, that lived there. I think they were all girls, but I remember two of them specifically, like summer and spring or something like that. That was their names. Um, But I was in the front yard and I waved and I asked one of the the girls if she wanted to, the older of the two girls, I asked her if she wanted to come over and and play. And she says, no, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to say it anyway. She says, no, because you are a nigger lover. And I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, oh, I'm something new. So I run inside to my mom, hey mom, the girl across the street just called me this, what does that mean? And the look on my mom's face, I'll never forget. There was so much pain, there was so much anguish, there was so much hatred. I didn't realize it at the time, but my mom and dad, when they first got married, they went through a lot of struggles being an interracial couple in a time frame when it was not as common. So they had their own struggles. And the last thing my mom wanted was for this to come back in any way, especially when my dad was deployed in the military like he was at the time. So I learned from a very early age what that word, what that phrase meant, and it's it stained my heart to see my mom in so much pain. And all I knew is that I never wanted to see my mom upset in that manner again. You know, of all the times that I was a bad kid, that didn't come close to how upset she was at, in this instant. instance. She was crying uncontrollably, so upset. And... I just felt like I needed to do everything in my power to protect my mom to ensure that she never, ever feels like this again. It was a horrible feeling going from zero to a thousand miles an hour watching your mom just become an emotional wreck, realizing that across the street, a new family had moved in when we were away on vacation and they were just horrible, horrible individuals. And here we were. So again, I wanted to protect my mom. And I remember that there were times when the little girls would come over to my, my yard and they would call me that name. And because I never wanted my mom to feel bad again, and I knew how bad the, the, those, those phrases and those, those things that she said to me were, I had nothing but hatred in my heart. I had nothing but wanting to protect my mom uh, on my mind. So there was one time I picked up a, a decorative brick around the garden and I slammed it into her face. And then the youngest girl, she couldn't even talk at the time, but she was out walking around a lot because they really didn't watch their kids very much. They were just let they just let them do whatever they wanted. She wandered over into, the, into my yard. So I took her deep into the woods and I left her. Uh, so that she didn't know how to get out, and she—I remember, I remember it was like, like six hours later, she comes wandering out. She's she's covered in mud and dirt. She's crying hysterically, you know. And but I didn't care. I was but I was doing all these horrible things to protect my mom, and so that was the initial start for me to have that desire engraved in my heart, wanting to protect people, wanting to do something for other people. And it's grown into a desire to help other people to help other people not feel horrible in in particular certain certain situations if I have the capability to do so i've had to limit it to realize that I have limitations and I can't help everybody all the time some some people have to you have to help yourself, but that desire initially it could have gone one of two ways it could have been hatred that stuck with me, even though for a very long time, yes, I did have a lot of hatred in my heart and I did not, I did not manage well in racial situations. It was more like as soon as I was confronted with it, I became a different person where I confronted it and I fought and I engaged a lot of people. I got into a lot of, um, scuffles and fights in my life because of it, but I never backed down. And, um, I'm glad that didn't stick, and I only say that because this world, regardless of having days, months, events where we can celebrate different cultures and honor them, we are still a, we are still plagued with racism. It's everywhere. So I'm glad that didn't stay because I recognize that it's out there. But I have grown into an a, an individual that has. The desire to help people engraved on my heart rather than hatred engraved it's that desire to help people so that is how i got that desire that is so strong and remained and was the priority in my life before i decided that it was okay for me to kill myself but thankfully that's what slowed me down because going back into previous episodes if you remember i talked about i was so depressed i was i was so unorganized And I couldn't make decisions that I could not accomplish anything on the list. I would go to the grocery store and I couldn't decide if it was whole milk or skim milk. I couldn't decide on toys to buy for my kid. And then I would start having anxiety and panic attacks right there. And I had to walk out and leave frustrated, which only makes you more confused, more depressed. And ultimately, that that just leads to decreased motivation and you're not going to get anywhere. So that's, that's how I developed that. So... I want to encourage you to ask why more because like I've said previously I honor both the good and the bad things that have happened in my life and I'm able to 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 say those things are what have developed me as as a person. Now also last week I made a statement that I want to I want to dive deeper into. And on the last episode I was I was talking about why, why people become the way that they are um, with regards to not being able to relax off-duty. You're always thinking about the job. You're only comfortable when you're talking about the job. You have friends, and when you're with them, you're only talking about the job. You're, you might be listening, listening to scanners all the time if you're a first responder. You're not comfortable when you're away from the chaos, things like that. Like that that's, that's your normal. That's your, that's, that's your home. And so, I like to think that you know there's 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 a real opportunity to to dive deeper into that topic and maybe uncover some things for you that might be helpful for you in the future. So I want you to ask yourself, you know, why are you the way that you are? Or if you're not there yet, I want you to understand that it's it's possible that you can become a particular way. Now the phrase I want to use to kind of uh, dive into this topic. is institutionalized. There's a great movie out there. Uh, it's called uh, Shawshank Redemption. If you've ever seen it, um, you, you'll understand what I'm talking about with a particular character. If you haven't, I'll try to explain it the best I can. Um, there was a a character in the movie. His name was Brooks. And Brooks, I believe, worked in the library and he had been in prison for a very, very long time. And there was another character named, I think his name was Haywood. He comes in to wish Brooks farewell because he was getting paroled. Now Brooks gets distressed and he grabs a knife and he 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 gets a hold of Haywood and he's threatening to stab the knife into his neck. And the reason he does that is because they were taking away his home. He was getting free, but freedom was not home for him. Being, being locked in prison is, became the norm for him. And there was actually a part where he got out of the movie, and they're showing the character in different scenes, and Brooks is narrating it. And he's talking about he was thinking uh, that maybe he could purchase a gun and he could kill like the store manager, and then they would send him home. So he recognized that being in prison was his normal now another if you haven't seen that movie and that didn't make any sense another thing um I'll give you another example. I was getting my oil changed one time, and we were sitting or I was sitting in that little square you know five foot by five foot room that had four chairs against two walls, facing a corner t v that had no remote. And it was like Jerry Springer that was on or Maury or something. One of those just horrible sitcom or, or um, confrontational shows. But there was a lady on there. I'll never, I'll never forget. It, the topic was like, you know, getting away from abuse or something. This lady had abusive parents. Her, her, first, husband, her first husband was abusive. Her second husband was abusive. And now her current, uh, current boyfriend is abusive. Now I want to ask you the question. Is it a coincidence, in your opinion, that she just happened to get all of these relationships. Now, the first one, obviously, uh, is, is not her fault, but the other's, is it a coincidence that she gets into these abusive relationships? Or do you think she's un- unconsciously looking for it because that was her initial home? Um, I think that it's not a coincidence. I think that just like her and... Being similar to Brooks is that a part of them, they're inst- institutionalized. Now, when you're institutionalized, you become, a um, you know, you're, you're, you're a part of an organization, a part of something. But you also have to realize that um, that organization or that lifestyle, it becomes a part of you. So when you're not around it, you're not whole. You know, it's that whole Jerry, Jerry Maguire thing, you complete me. You're not whole without that element in your life. And so you know there's 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 a new comfort zone and you know a new home that's been established there. And when you're out of your element, what do we do? When we're not comfortable, what do we do? We seek normalcy. We want if if it's too hot, we we we, we want things uh, a little colder. If it's too cold, we want things a little warmer. You know, same thing applies. Our new our new normal, our new home or what has been our normalcy for a very long time, when we're out of that, we we seek it. So, you know, for first responders, you have to realize that um, we can become institutionalized too. We can become reprogrammed, if you will. Before I talk about the brain, which is what I'm gonna get into, I wanna talk about muscles. Because this will kind of lead into the brain and being reprogrammed and being institutionalized because when that takes place, it happens within the brain if you've ever worked out before or you've ever been to the gym and you see these 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 individuals that might might just work their work their arms their upper body all the time or or any muscle group, what happens to that muscle group? it changes it adapts to the the environment around it um, and the reason it does that is because. It wants to become able to handle the stress that you're putting it under, and you know the the just like your muscles being able to change, you have to understand that your brain is able to change too. Now, there's two areas within the brain that I'll, I'll talk about today. The first one is the amygdala, and the second is the the prefrontal cortex. The amygdala, I want you to think of that with regards to being like the acceleration pedal. and the prefrontal cortex, that is the brake pedal. Um, the amygdala is part of a limbic system and the limbic system has to do with emotional and um, like behavioral normalcy and you know emotional responses. Um, if you get into a situation, where you become very afraid and like, let's say you're confronted with something terrifying and you're going to run away, the amygdala is activated, right? And then once that's activated, the limbic system is activated, uh, you have these these um, uh, hormones that are introduced into your body. You have uh, cortisol and you have adrenaline. Now, both of them are stress hormones. And essentially what they're doing is they're pumping you up and giving you energy to, to react. And these can stay within the body for long periods of time adrenaline maybe like an hour after the event cortisol can stay in the body for uh, hours after the event now in first responders right maybe if you're in a very slow department or slow organization you might get lucky where you only have a couple of calls a day if you're in a very busy department, you are continually going from excitement to excitement to excitement to excitement. So you have these situations where the amygdala in the limbic system is constantly being activated, constantly pumping in these stress hormones into you. Now, again, this is the acceleration pedal. And just like your muscles, things start thinking about the muscles when you go to the gym and you work them out. If you are consistently month after month, year after year, placed in these situations where it's go, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not flight, it's fight, because again, there is a situation that's placed in front of you and you're going into it. So after month after month, year after year, what is happening? What's your new home? Your amygdala is continually activated, it's hyper well i don't want to say hyper but it's 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 overactivated it's increased and what happens is that when that takes place and it's go 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 all the time the brake pedal the brake pedal which is the prefrontal cortex gets less active and it becomes less active to the point where it's not as functional as it was before and so if you don't recognize this when you start to have an overactive amygdala and a a less active prefrontal cortex, you know, you may start to have an increase in fear responses, You, you, you might start developing new phobias like such as I talked about last week where there was an increase in locking the doors, right? What was I afraid of? Irrational fear, something that had never happened before. I was talking with a, with a friend who had listened to the podcast and he said, you know, that made me think. I was never like this before, but after joining the department, when I'm at home, I've got my, my ear to the door and I'm hitting the, I'm hitting the, the, the alarms on the, on the car, the alarm on the truck, and I need to hear it. I need to make sure. And he's checking the doors consistently, right? It's this phobia that you start to have. You might not like crowds. Now for me, I know that I still have that. I used to I used to love crowds, going to concerts. I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out there. Look, I was uh I was a male stripper for a while. You want to talk about crowds and and being around people you have no idea, right? I I couldn't even think about it. Don't judge me. Don't you judge me. My, my stage name was Apache. You probably can't get away with that today, but right? Just whatever. What I'm talking about here is get your mind out of the gutter. I'm talking about me being in a situation previously that I did not mind, which has to be crowds. And now, mm, I don't like crowds so much. I'm 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 more of an introvert and I was never like that before. So I know that for me, I have been institutionalized to a certain degree. Now I've got six years left, six and a half years left within this profession, and then I'm eligible to retire. So I need to start thinking about, just like many of you need to start thinking about, how are you going to transition out of your profession and be in a place where you're comfortable not in situations related to the tones going off, gunshot wounds coming in, stab wounds coming in, people dying, there's fire, there's chaos, there's robberies, there's vehicle accidents, there's war. Are you starting to think about transitioning out of that? Because I can tell you, the last thing you want to do is start start making excuses for why you need to live in situations like this. I just had a friend tell me that they were thinking about retiring, you know, maybe at the end of whatever month. And they've been eligible to retire for a very, very long time. And I told them, I said, I, I don't think you're going anywhere because you're institutionalized. And again, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, not at all. I was just pointing out the fact that this person has been a part of an organization, but this organization has become a very large part of that person's life. And at some point, you're not going to be in the same role you were before. And so when you retire, do you want to be that individual that at 2 a.m. the scanner tone goes off letting you know that there's a structure fire and you've got your wife or your spouse next to you, and you're turning on your phone so you can listen to the scanner, so you can be hyped up and, and, and feel like you're right back in that situation again. Trust me, you don't want to be that person. I'm not saying that it's not good to stay connected with the individuals that you work with, right? Because this is a family atmosphere. Being your first, first responder, there's a bond that grows. But you have to draw limits, and you have to realize your role is not the same. You can't live that same life. It is not good for you to wake up hour after hour on your days off, longing for somebody to mark on scene on an emergency call with flames shooting out of the roof or we've got multiple gunshot victims down and you know you're like you're right back in it, right? Because again, month after month, year after year, your amygdala has been overacted. And it's become the normal for you. So you have a hard time relaxing off duty. You have a hard time being in, in situations that are that are calm. Your responses to, to situations might be irrational. That's that's one of the, 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 the things you need to look for. If you overreact or you have irrational responses, or you have these, these phobias, like I had talked about, with you know, locking the door and not feeling safe, you know, always thinking that the 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 enemies coming over the, over the hills, right? You have these phobias. It's because to a certain degree, just like I am and I have been, and I'm trying to recognize what I have going on now and fix it, but it's institutionalized. We've been in it so long that this has become a significant part of us. And so I want to ask you, where in your life do you think that you're institutionalized and is it something that is negatively impacting you is it something that you need that you think you can change you know I, I don't think it's healthy for us to to live in these uh these these scenarios consistently because when your amygdala is has been reprogrammed to be so overactive and your prefrontal cortex is less active it's like it's like a dump truck fully loaded and going down a hill but that dump truck has been equipped with the braking system of a moped right the braking system isn't gonna work and if you are continually placing yourself in these situations and not learning how to relax not learning how to properly sleep not recognizing that you have these phobias, not recognizing that there's things that are negatively impacting you. If these things stay in your life for a long time, they're just that much harder to get out. It's that much more of a habit that it's going to be for you. And so by recognizing these things, you can you can take action. Now, ultimately, like I've said before, I think one of the best things that any of us could do is to go go get a therapist. Go have somebody to talk to, talk to to just get stuff off of your chest, to to process things that are going on. They will help you make sense of these things. But there's also other things you can do by having uh, an opportunity to get restful sleep. So turn off the scanner, turn off your phone. When you have a chance to rest and sleep, do it. Exercise, you know, take care of yourself, healthy eating. I know on the job, I, I mentioned sleep and that's very, very hard. Because what happens? It's 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 all night long. It's it, there's no time to rest. It's call after call, you know. It's it's you're op, you're you can and you will operate at all hours of the day. I I, I get that and I know, um, but when you have an opportunity to to sleep, take advantage of that. When you have downtime, take advantage of that. Um, watch your eating habits. Exercise. Get a hobby. Get something else that you can engage in. I. I want to finish off by, by adding, I know that there's not, always, there's not always going to be a fix for everybody if you're experiencing difficulties in, in your profession, if you feel like your, your job is, is just too much for you. Um, so I want, to, I want to encourage you because I, I, I understand that when people get in positions and they've been in them for a long time, they can't see themselves doing anything else. They can't envision themselves being accepted into any other 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 line of work, and again, it goes back to the thing of being institutionalized and becoming so familiar with something that you long for it, and you can't envision anything else. You know, you 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 don't feel like you can learn a new skill, or that your skill set applies to any other field, or, or you would be satisfied in any other field. But the truth is, is that. I understand that these professions aren't for everybody, military, EMS, law enforcement, fire, being a first responder of any type. I understand it's not for everybody. Sometimes you might have that one bad call and that's all it takes for you to say, this is not for me. Or you might be building up to that one significant goal. You're feeling like, I've had this incident and this and this and this, and I just don't think I can take any more. But because you've been there for so long, you're putting yourself in a very bad position. And I just wanna encourage you that this is a big world. And there are a lot of things that you can do. Um, I may talk about this later and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk about why I started. Well, actually, let's, let's talk about it now. We've got time. One of the reasons I started a part-time job is because I didn't want to work overtime, is because I got to that point where I realized that I could not take more than 24 hours at a time. Now, prior to this, I worked a lot of overtime. Before Before I had my fire and all that smoke was produced in my life, and it started ruining my life, before I had that, I worked a ton of overtime. I wanted to be on the job. I wanted to be with the crews. I wanted to be in the pranks. I wanted to know what was going on. It was exciting. I didn't, know, I didn't want anything else in my life. I used to take vacation time just so I can go and take firefighter classes, EMT classes, technical rescue classes. I used to take vacation so I can go to uh, these, these fire, fire department-related conferences. I wasn't spending time with my family. I wasn't spending time with my wife. I wasn't spending time with my son. Everything was about the job because I was so heavily institutionalized. It had become such a significant part of my life. I remember I would be at home on my days off and I would just be studying all these books and all this material because I wanted to be so good at my profession. I wanted to get promoted. I wanted to move up the ladder. I wanted to do all these great things. But I had to realize and I had to step back and I had to... I had to say, this is happening to me. I have irrational responses emotionally to small things. I have all these phobias that are starting to develop in my life. And I have all these things that I'm doing that are a part of me now that were never there before. And I can only attribute them to this profession. And so I'm asking you to do the same thing. Now, I had a great opportunity to get promoted to a level of battalion chief. It's where I wanted to go, and I'm so thankful that I achieved that position. I don't know, honestly, had I not got promoted, I don't think I would have stayed in the department much longer because I realized that, as I've said previously, we have such a shortage in this industry that over time is becoming mandatory, Yes, it's great when it's voluntary, but it's becoming mandatory because we don't have enough individuals to fill the minimum positions that we need on the trucks. Even with, you know, parameters that we have to um, kind of reduce the uh, the instances where we have to have mandatory or we have to have overtime individuals, we still have plenty of opportunities out there just because people keep retiring. It's hard. It takes a long time to train people. And so I don't think I would have stayed because now I'm not I'm not made to be a mandatory overtime person in my position. But if I was still a fire captain, I know that every X amount of days I would have been. And if I wasn't getting help, I don't know. I don't know how long it would have taken for me to realize that I can't do this anymore. Just because 24 hours at a time, at one point in in my career— was the max I could do because I had all these other things going on in my life. And I know I've I've mentioned all this previously before, but it was just, it was chaos in my head. So when you have chaos in your head and then you're visually seeing it with your own eyes, it's a, it's a bad combination. But one of the things that I had to do to escape it is because I liked working overtime at one point. And then I felt like it was a necessity at another point because we didn't have a lot of money. We had purchased a new home that, was built in 1980 and the only thing that had been updated since 1980 was they changed the light bulbs so there was a lot of work that needed to be accomplished and I decided that I would start a a part-time company I was going to start a cleaning company now again I didn't have the money to do what I initially set out in my mind that this is what I wanted to do so I had to step down a couple of levels Um, With my equipment and say I'll start here and then I'll continually work my way up So I started out with just a vacuum cleaner I purchased a vacuum cleaner and like a cleaning caddy and I started putting ads on Craigslist Uh, I was cleaning out rental properties. I was scrubbing toilets. I was I was dusting. I was mopping. I was vacuuming I was just taking all this other equipment that I had at my house I was loading it into my little Subaru and I was just driving all over the, uh, the couple of surrounding cities cleaning out rental properties. And then every time I got paid and I was doing, I was doing a really good job and I was building a good uh, customer base uh, for property managers and um, uh, people, uh, word of mouth was spreading that I was getting pretty busy. I was getting steady and it was nice. And so every time I got paid, I would just reinvest the money into the company and continually buy the equipment that I needed. So I knew that I wanted to do exterior, exterior cleaning, which was gutter cleaning, window cleaning, uh, pressure washing and soft wash roof cleaning. And so I started, I had a little Subaru hatchback. So I, I went to um, a big box store and I bought like a, a trailer in a box. It was a little, a little four by six trailer. We put it together at the fire station one day um, and, uh, you know, that was was the beginning of it. I had the trailer, so that was motivation to start saving up and to buy my first pressure washer. And I bought this piece of crap pressure washer for like $135 off some guy online. And and it did the job, though. It did the job. I was able to go out with that pressure washer and I was able to make a lot of money. And just like I did previously with my vacuum cleaner, every time I got paid from jobs with a pressure washer, I reinvested the money into the company. And I continually purchased the equipment that I needed to finally get to a point where I am now that I'm getting ready to pay off my house. We've paid off. Uh, I've got two trucks that are paid for. Uh, My wife's car is paid for. My son's private school is paid for. Um, We're completely debt-free, just about. Uh, And, you know, um, we're, we're doing very well. I make more on my side business. I won't go into specific numbers. I, I just want to tell you this for the fact of being encouraging that if you can't, if you feel like you're in a place where you have to get out of your profession, that it is honestly killing you. It is honestly ruining your marriage. It's ruining your relationship with your kids. It's ruining your, your, your kids' childhood because you don't feel like you can control yourself, you're acting, you're rational, you have all these phobias, you're doing all these things that you didn't do before and you attribute them to your job and, and you just don't feel like there's time for you to get the help and get out. I'm telling you that I work part-time and I make more in my part-time business than I do as a upper management level um, individual within a fire department. I don't need to talk about specific dollar amounts or anything like that, but I'm just telling you that part-time working, I make significantly more than I do at my full-time job. So if you feel like you have to get out, if you feel like you have to run, get away from this profession that you're in, get away from this lifestyle, all these stressors that you have, you've seen enough. You can't shut it off. It's, in, it's ingrained in your mind and you feel like it's going to be the end of you if you don't get out, I just wanna encourage you that there is hope for you out there. Don't be afraid of starting a business. Don't be afraid of doing something on your own. The opportunities out there are endless. Um, Look, I started with the vacuum cleaner and I like to think that if I did this full-time, I don't wanna do it full-time. I want to transition into speaking and educating and, and helping people. That's my goal ultimately, down the road. Because I feel like that's where my heart is. That's what I. That's ultimately what I want to do. Like this, the vacuum cleaner, the pressure washer, the window cleaning. Now all that everything that I've done, it's a it's a stepping stone. It's a transition point, and it's helped me uh, fill that gap that I had in my life where I didn't want to work overtime, but we needed the money, and I've been able to turn around and utilize that. Um, that decision to better my life, better my my wife's life, my my son's life, to change his legacy so that, God forbid, if anything happens to my wife and I, you know, he's not going to be left with a mountain of debt. If anything happens to me, my wife doesn't have to worry about a mortgage. She doesn't have to worry about car payments, student loans. You know, I've been able to turn that around and do that as a positive. So, if you're looking for anything like that, man, you could start a carpet cleaning company. You could start just window cleaning. You could start just just gutter cleaning. Maid service, whatever it is, service businesses, lawn care. There's there's a ton of opportunity out there. But I want to end this episode with one last thing because I want to I want to make sure that I cover. Another area, if you feel like you need to get out, you've been damaged to a certain point, and don't think that just getting out of your profession, getting out of your situation, is going to be the, the the cure, because you you've you've been damaged, you've had trauma in your life, things are going to be present there, and you're still going to have to address them. So I highly recommend that if you're looking to remove yourself from traumatic situations that you're facing which don't have any shame in that if you're if it's not right for you it's not right for you if it's not right for your family it's certainly not right for you and that's a decision decision that you have to make for the better of yourself and the better of your family and your loved ones and those people around you but just realize that that's not going to be the cure you're still going to have the scars from everything that you've witnessed, everything that you've seen, it's still going to be with you. Think about the people getting out of the military. They're no longer, they are out of the military. They're no longer at war. They're no longer in those situations over in the Middle East or, or whatever area of the world that they operated in doing the things that they previously did that might it might have impacted them significantly. But are they still having issues? Some of them, some of them, Yes. So you need to understand that that can, that can stay with you and that can impact you for a very, very long time. And I always, always, always advocate for professional counseling, professional help. It's great if you have somebody to talk to, but you, you want to make sure that you are very particular about the people that you, you share your life with and you open up to. Because I know for me, it has taken a lot of courage and a lot of strength just to open up my mouth and say, I was screwed up and so messed up for a long time. I wanted to kill myself. I was suicidal. I was having all these thoughts. I was depressed. I was unorganized. I came to work. I was doing all these bad things. And I recognize that it's not easy for everybody to to open up and say those things. But when you do, you want to say it in a fashion where the receiving end they're just gonna shut up and open up their ears. They're going to shut up and let you talk. Don't be around that person that is just waiting for the opportunity to intervene with their conversation, that person that's continually negative, that has just nothing but malignant statements that are just going to put the focus on them and it's gonna make you feel like opening up was useless because nobody's gonna listen but trust me, you just chose the wrong person. So when you do decide to open up and you do decide to just speak with someone, um, make sure it's the right person, preferably a professional counselor, somebody that's gonna be able to help you process your your thoughts, process everything bad that's happened to you, and, and get you the help that you need. There was one other thing I wanted to mention last week that I just remembered, and here we are again, 10 minutes in, right? I was talking about a couple of instances where I had when I when I didn't talk about my issues and I had everything bottled up inside of me that I lost the ability to hear and I had what's called a what I just I call it a daytime blackout because I I had so much built up in me. I had my initial fire and all the smoke and I never talked about it and it just compounded and pounded and grew until I had this just raging inferno inside of me and my body essentially said no more stressors. So real quick, just to talk about what I was mentioning last week, I wanna share with you when I lost the ability to hear and I had the the blackout. And maybe um, that will just help add some more significance to when I say professional help is the right way to go. You understand that I mean just that professional help is the way that you need to go if you're having problems and not holding in and thinking that everything is just gonna fix itself. So I've talked that, or I've told you that I have been uh, an individual that has taught um, rescue classes throughout the state. Those rescue classes consisted of rope rescue, trench, rescue, confined space, vehicle rescue. Um, and those disciplines I became very comfortable with, teaching them time and time again. You learn a lot of stuff. You, you you feel like you are able to draw on a lot of experience. So when it happens in real life, especially vehicle accidents and vehicle extrications, manipulating vehicles to get people out, it just feels like second nature. Well, it should have been on one particular evening, but I was in such a, m- a mental distress that evening That when this vehicle call came in and then it turned into an extrication, which means that somebody's trapped in a vehicle and we have to cut them out with, I guess the best term I can use if you're not familiar with different brands would be like the jaws of life, right? You're going to be cutting the vehicle apart to remove somebody that's trapped. And my body just couldn't handle any more stress. And so on that scene, I lost the ability to hear. I don't recall talking to anybody. I don't recall... Conversations. I don't recall hearing any radio traffic. Anybody talking to me in person. It wasn't. It wasn't until after the call that the battalion chief came up to me and he was a little irate, and he was like, "I've been calling you on this channel. I was asking you this. You never acknowledged me. You never talked to me. You never told me what was going on. I was asking for updates. I was just operate, operating, and I did not hear a thing. And I look down in my turnout coat where my radio was tucked away, and I look at the channel that we were supposed to be operating on. I was on the right channel. I looked at the volume. The volume was all the all the way up. I heard people talking on that channel, and I didn't understand what was going on, and I became very, very afraid. I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I never heard you call me, and I'm looking at my radio, and everything's checking out, I don't remember talking to anybody there. I don't actually remember a whole lot about um, any communication that took place on that scene. And it was at that point that I realized that I lost the ability to hear. And I started having more of a, a panic situation set in. We were packing up and we were getting ready to leave the scene. When I was getting in the front seat of the truck And we were getting ready to clear and and head back to the fire station. The tones go off for a structure fire. And that's the last thing that I remember. We, apparently, we were really close to the structure fire. The next thing I know, I'm standing in the kitchen of some house. I have no idea what district we're in. And I don't know what's going on. I recognize everybody around me. There was three people from the rescue company that were there. I had my rider with me. And we're standing in the middle of a kitchen that's pretty smoky. And I have no clue of what's going on. And I thought I was losing my mind at that point. And it wasn't until... And I I just, I couldn't make heads or tails of any of it. It did not make sense to me. And I'm I'm back at the station and I'm like, I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. I don't remember traveling to the call. I don't remember talking to my driver. I don't remember talking to the person in the back. All I know is that I'm coming to... So to speak, I'm waking up, so to speak, in a kitchen that's smoky, and I, I have no idea what the heck is going on. And it wasn't until I was at a fire department conference. It's called FDIC out in Indianapolis several years ago. And I think I think crazy maybe uh, attracts crazy. I don't know, uh, but there was a captain I met out there from Florida. And we were both taking um, a lot of the same classes. I don't know if he was seeking what I was seeking, but I went out there particularly interested in finding out more about mental health because again, at that point, I hadn't sought out any help whatsoever. So I figured if I'm going to this conference and there were a couple of classes on mental health issues, I was going to go to them. So we attended a few together and I opened up as we were sitting there chatting. I, just, I took a liking to this guy and I was telling him about my incident where I lost the ability to hear. And then immediately after that, I had this daytime blackout where there was this gap that I I cannot remember. And it's just like my mind said, you can only handle so much stress. This, even though you've been down this road a hundred times before, this is a little bit additional stress that your body cannot handle. So I'm gonna shut something off so that you can just function. And what it shut off was my memory, I guess. Well, I was explaining that situation to him and he started telling me about a very similar situation that he had happened to him. His daughter was molested by somebody in a church that they were very close to, and that just stemmed into a lot of mental anguish and issues for him that he never dealt with, dealt with very similar to what I encountered. And he told me one day I was out outside, and he said, the next thing I know, I'm standing over this guy who's bloody and beaten by me and he's laying on the sidewalk, passed out. I don't know this person. I don't know what happened. But all I know is that I've severely hurt somebody. And so it wasn't until that point that I I started recognizing that this is our response. This is our body's response, his and mine, to certain situations. When we don't deal with things, when we don't cope with things, when we just let them build up, and at some point, your body is going to counter that, and your body's gonna protect itself. Just so that you can function throughout the day, your body is gonna do something so that you're able to continue on from point A to point B. Now, when he blacked out, he obviously, was it, something stressful happened that just shut him down. Was it, it must've been a confrontation or something? I don't know, but he obviously won it, but he felt like he was losing. He felt like he was losing his mind just like I did. So hopefully that maybe adds to when I say it's important for you to recognize by holding things in and by not addressing them, you understand the significance of where it could potentially go. Not saying that you will have issues like that. You could have a number of small things, much smaller. You might think that they're smaller to you. They could be significant to somebody else. But ultimately, when you're having these problems, All the relationships that you have in your life, whether it's family or close friends or responsibilities that you have, all these issues, they affect that, they impact that. So you have to realize it's smoke and smoke travels and smoke ruins things. And if you don't handle it, it, the, the smoke is just gonna get worse the fire is going to get closer until everything around you is consumed with fire and the smoke is just continually growing. It's getting more significant and it makes your life hell. So I hope that brings all of the things that I wanted to talk about last week that I never got an opportunity to, and maybe, again, just add to the importance of those the statements of getting help is the ultimate goal, yep, fifteen minutes of recording well, y'all, um, this podcast is finally on Apple. If you are listening to this on apple i and in, in you if you are finding this valuable at all, um, if you would give me. Uh, a five-star rating and a review, you can just type a single word um, in there. That just helps bump this up. It helps get this podcast in front of more people. Uh, Please share this with people that you think might find value in this. Um, And thank you for all the positive comments that have been received so far. Um, Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. I love you all and we'll talk to you soon. God bless.